the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Grace and peace to you and welcome to Reaching for Real Life Radio with Sean Azaro, the senior pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. A church that exists to help people like you find the real life you were created for and find it to the full. That's what Jesus promised in John 10.10. And today we continue in a series called Fear Not. As today, Sean tells the classic David and Goliath story, which was a pretty scary day for some, unless you have a helper like the Lord. So what's your Goliath right now? Listen in and start looking for some good stones. Reachingforreallife.org has this full message, sermon notes, and series available for free. If you feel led to bless this listener-supported radio ministry, then please do so today. There's a place to give at reachingforreallife.org. The message today is called The Fear That Killed the King. It's in the series called Fear Not. Pastor Sean starts off in 1 Samuel 15. It's time for Reaching for Real Life Radio. Now, while I want to encourage you when it comes to groups... What I want to discourage you in is groupthink. You know what groupthink is? About four of you. Okay, great. The rest of you know we haven't. That's groupthink, see? No, I'm kidding. All right, psychology today defines groupthink like this. It says, groupthink is a phenomenon that occurs when a group of well-intentioned people makes irrational or non-optimal decisions spurred by the urge to conform or the belief that dissent is impossible. The problematic or premature consensus that is characteristic of groupthink may be fueled by a particular agenda, or it may be due to a group member's valuing harmony and coherence above critical thought. If you've ever experienced groupthink, everybody's just kind of going along, and you're like, wait a minute, there's some really important ideas that aren't being discussed, some really important questions that aren't being asked. Well, I have to tell you right now, we are living in the world of groupthink. This last year, it all went into hyperdrive, and I, I'm, I know I keep saying that, but that's why we're doing this series. The series is called Fear Not, and we're talking about fear, and this last year, it's just been unbelievable, the things that people just kind of go along with without ever asking questions. And I told you, we've had dissenting opinions. What we used to be, as far as medical advice, getting a second opinion used to be a good idea. That's actually been visibly and obviously suppressed in parts of the media, in parts of the public conversation. And what it leads to is this huge kind of problem of groupthink. i got to tell you, one of the biggest kind of promoters of groupthink has been social media, which the irony is social media was intended to be something that created all this free conversation and all different kind of viewpoints and this big open forum. It was supposed to be the free exchange of ideas. And what's interesting is what you had happen instead is it became this thing of group link, group think as different people's opinions kind of started to become the approved opinions and other opinions were kind of disapproved. You know, one of the things that I notice about how social media has evolved, when we talk about news media, 
kind of the regular, which is we, we assume, and I think often wrongly, is supposed to be factual information. When you, you look at a news article, and a big part of the article is quoting someone on social media. Or have you ever read a story when it's, a, you know, so-and-so experienced backlash because they did this, and then some Twitter feeds are quoted. Well, one, everybody experiences backlash on Twitter. Twitter is a huge dumpster fire, right? We all know this. And what's funny, though, to have a news story start quoting these different people, and this is backlash, and they just quote some different people who, I don't know them. I've never heard from them. I've never read their books. I don't know who they are at all. What qualifies them to speak on the subject? doesn't matter. They agree with the story that the the writer of the article wanted to tell. And by what that means, you want to talk about bias confirmation, you just, whatever you, want to, whatever you want to affirm, find someone who agrees with you. They experience backlash on Twitter. So what? How do, how do I know this isn't some guy living in his mom's basement? Oh, he's really qualified to speak on it, you know? He has a Twitter account. Ah, oh, okay, good, good. That's his big qualification. Censorship that we've seen over the last year. That's one of those things when you stop and think about where social media started and what it was about, and now social media companies are censoring certain things because they disagree with it. That's messed up. Their whole mission, their whole point was to not have that, to have this free exchange of ideas. It's the ultimate group thing. Literally afraid of dissenting ideas. Used to be okay for someone to be wrong. Or to be partially right and partially wrong. Now, oh, if you're not one of the approved ideas, censor, eh, misinformation, eh. it's like the ultimate group think. How about safe spaces? Now, I didn't even get started yet. <laughs> no, if you're under 30 years old, you may not know something that those of us who are older than 30, we know. College campuses used to be a place where different ideas were encouraged. This is true. It was a place where you were supposed to go off and have your worldview expanded with new ideas. You were supposed to be challenged in some of your assumptions. That doesn't mean you were wrong. It just means you were going to be challenged. You were going to have to think about it. You're going to have to engage intellectually with people who think and feel differently than you. That used to be one of the benefits of college. Not anymore. Because we have safe spaces where if by chance a dissenting idea sneaks onto campus through the back door and gets near me, I can run to a safe space where they're not allowed to bring their dissenting ideas. I'm not talking about safe from like assault and battery. That's good. You should have safe spaces from that. But safe from people who disagree with you? From, from dissenting ideas? Why is that even good? You want to talk about institutionalized groupthink. And it goes on and on. What you need to understand is all of these things are playing on a fear, an existing fear that people have, and has taken it to new heights. This fear of what people think of us. The whole woke movement is about playing on people's fear of what other people think of them and getting them to do and say what we want them to say. Cancel culture. Do you realize how quickly cancel culture could just be dealt with? We cry about it, we moan about it. Do you realize if corporations, if corporations particularly, if corporations would just say, yeah, we don't care. 
We don't like what you, we don't like what that person said. You must fire them. No, we don't have to. See how easy it is? Yeah, but we're going to go on Twitter and we're going to yell and the news is going to write on you. Okay. Got a memory of like a gnat. Okay. Next week, you're going to forget about me and you're going to go on to someone else. And I don't care. Because for everyone who disagrees with me on something like this, there's probably five who agree with me but aren't saying anything. I'm okay with that. I'm okay living in a world with, where some people disagree with me. That's called normal. And if, if corporations would just say, yeah, we're not going to do that. Now, if they look into something that an employee or someone did and it really was bad for the company, it really did violate policy, and they get rid of a person, great. But to get rid of people who did nothing wrong because of fear of what's going to happen when social media gets a hold of it and then the actually mainstream media gets a hold of it, oh, we better preempt this and we better fire this person. There's been no due, pro- no due process. There's no evidence. They're never allowed to confront their accuser. All the things that, that we used to just consider bedrock and foundational. They're just gone. And we just fire them because we don't want to deal with the bad press. And it would stop a media corporation just said, we don't care. We're going to do what we think is right and we'll live with the consequences. Imagine that. It's called character. It's called just living your convictions instead of being at the whim of whatever public opinion says at the moment. But we're terrified of that. Today I want to talk to to you about fear of what people think. Because a lot of us struggle with fear of what people think. Questions like, what do they think of me? Do they like me? Do they approve of me? Do they agree with me? Because we're afraid to disagree. It's too weird if we disagree. My kids are embarrassed if we're someplace and I disagree with something and I say, oh, I disagree with that. My kids oh, Dad, that's such a boomer thing to say. That's such a boomer thing to say. Oh, Dad, oh, my gosh. Well, I do disagree. Why, why can't I say? They sat and told me what they thought. Why can't I? Oh, God. It's a big thing. Oh, I, I'm an embarrassing dad. Which, I, actually, as I think about it, it's probably true, but that's a different point. Fear of what people think. We're in this series called Fear Not. And we began on Easter mo- morning. And we learned the beginning of my fearlessness is learning to trust his faithfulness. Because he's always faithful. Even when it comes to death. He is faithful. And then last week we learned overcoming fear is not about altering the future. Trying to control the future. It's not about altering the future, but rather seeing it differently through the lenses of faith versus the lenses of fear. Looking through lenses of fear distorts and alters everything that we do. When we look through lenses of fear at everything, it causes us to blow off our values, causes us to do things we would never do otherwise, and it causes us to miss out on the things that God has for us. And this week, we want to talk about the fear that killed the king. The fear that killed the king. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Samuel 15. Awesome story, 1 Samuel 15 through 17. And I mean, it's a little before and even extending well beyond, but I want to focus on this. The fear that killed the king. You remember the people of God asked for a king. All the people around them had a king, and they were judged by judges, and currently they were under the leadership of the prophet Samuel. And they said, we want a king like everybody else. Samuel felt rejected. God said, it's not you they rejected, Samuel. It's me. But he gave them their wish. He gave them the king they wanted. He gave them a man named Hey, let's take a quick minute to remind you, you're listening to Reaching for Real Life Radio with Pastor Sean Azaro, a listener-supported ministry of River City Community Church, in this message called The Fear That Killed the King. It's in the series called Fear Not. 
which is available right now on the sermon page at reachingforreallife.org. And while you're there, if you've been blessed by this teaching, your gift of any amount helps this radio ministry continue to help others. Just find the Donate tab at reachingforreallife.org. And in fact, your gift of any amount will get you the latest book from Pastor Sean Azaro. 302 Books, a division of Salem Media Group, presents A Pilgrim's Guide to the Spirit-Filled Life, Rediscovering the Gift of the Spirit, authored by Sean Azaro, pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. Growing up in and around Pentecostal churches, I really learned to appreciate the role of the Spirit in the life of the believer, but I also saw what I considered to be imbalance and excess in some of our churches when it came to how we taught about the infilling. Now available at Amazon.com, Sean Azaro shares his most requested teaching and radio broadcast series in a devotional form, encouraging you to embrace the Spirit-filled life. I wrote in a devotional style to encourage readers to examine the Scripture with fresh eyes and make room for the Lord to speak about the role of the Spirit in our lives. The goal of the whole book is to simply make you hungry for more of the Spirit. Order your copy of A Pilgrim's Guide to the Spirit-Filled Life by Sean Azaro today at Amazon or reachingforreallife.org. And now back to the message, The Fear That Killed a King. This is Reaching for Real Life Radio. So he tries to put his armor on David, doesn't fit. It's hanging down and, the, you know, every, the sword's too big. He says, I can't fight with these. And so you, you know, if you know the story, you know what David does. He gets rid of Saul's armor. Can't fight in Saul's armor. And he takes his sling that he used as a shepherd. And he goes down to a brook and gets five smooth stones. And he steps out onto the battlefield to fight the giant. Now, it's interesting. Goliath looks at David. And we're told he looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health. In other words, the, the word that the other translation uses, he's ruddy, like rosy-cheeked. That's what it means. He was rosy-cheeked and handsome. That's what the word says. And, and Goliath despised him, not because he was an enemy, not because he was afraid of him, but he literally says to David, am, am I a dog? I can almost see him. He says it to David. I can almost see him looking over at Saul. Am I a dog? You send a kid out here to chase me off with sticks and rocks? What? Are you serious? He's insulted. And so he turns to David and says, and, and, it's, and he says, the Philistine cursed David by his gods. So come here, he said, I'm going to give your flesh to the birds and to the wild animals. But that's all David needed to hear. When he cursed him by his gods, something rose up in David. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses, not just of you, but of the whole Philistine army to the birds and to the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. It's pretty good for a kid. Of course, what happened next is one of the most well-known military battles and victories in history. With just a sling and a stone, the giant is defeated, then beheaded, and a king is born. Stop and think about this. 
By that time, his brother had criticized him. The king had misjudged him, didn't believe in him. An army had left him, hang, hung him out to dry and abandoned him. A giant threatened him. And you want to know what the worst part is? Listen, and I want you to hear this. No one took him seriously. In this whole story, no one took him seriously. The story even starts when Samuel goes to Jesse's house. You remember how the story is? David didn't just become king because of this. He was anointed king. Samuel the prophet goes to Jesse's house. God told me one of your sons is going to be king. So he brings all the boys out. The oldest one. And Samuel looks at him. He's tall. He's strong. Oh, surely this is, that's Eliab, who we heard from a few minutes ago. And God says, yeah, don't look at his height or stature or whatever, whatever. I've rejected him. And he gives these words. See, man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. And he goes through all the brothers. And, and it's like, Samuel's like, wait a minute, I know God told me to come here, but none of these is it. Do you have any more sons? And li- literally, Jesse, this is David's dad. Jesse goes, well, there's David. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but he's a kid, and he's out watching this year. Samuel goes, I'm not leaving until I see him. And the minute he comes in, rosy-cheeked, handsome, sweaty, smelling like sheep, He comes in, and God says, that's my boy. (laughs) That's the man after God's own heart. He'll be a man soon. (laughs) That's the kid after God's own heart. And he anoints him right there. But when you think about it, his dad didn't believe in him, didn't take him seriously. His brother certainly didn't take him seriously when he went to the battlefront. Saul didn't take him seriously. His enemy, the giant, didn't even take him seriously. But what's interesting about David, and this is so important, David didn't see this as a strategy problem, a skill problem, or a military problem. David saw it as a theological problem. And he reveals his thinking in Psalm 27. David wrote these words. Psalm 27, 1 through 3. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, that word devour can be translated slander. It's sometimes in scripture, devour or slander. Think about that. When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. Now, why is he confident? I love that phrase, I will be confident, no matter what comes against me. Why? Because of what he wrote in verse one. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? See, this is such a timely word for us. This last year has been been kind of, it's like it all went into hyperdrive or everything on steroids, this fear. We live in an unbelievably fearful, timid, and insecure culture. I really want you to hear this because it's like the culture of our world right now. Fear. Fear. Timidity. Insecurity. I mean, on whatever level you want to think about, even on the international stage, the U.S. tends to be obsessed with our image. What do other people around the world think of us? Rather than, is what we're doing right or wrong? I am stunned by how insecure so many of us are. And I think David gives us a secret to confidence. 
If you're taking notes, write this down. The antidote to the fear of man is confidence in the sovereignty of God. That's the antidote. The antidote to the fear of man, the fear of people, what they think, what they can do, is to have confidence in the sovereignty of God. That's what it is. It is confidence in the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God, it means God is king, and he is king over all. It means he is on the throne, and his plan will prevail. I've had preachers, when talking about the book of Revelation, suggest I go to the end of my Bible, and I actually have Bibles that I did this in, and write the words, we win. In the whole scheme of things, God rules, God wins. And we need to understand, David lived with that understanding. God is king. He has no equal, there is no balance. It's not like there's a good force, bad force, don't know which one's gonna win. No, no, he is God, he is sovereign, he is king. He wins. And we need to understand that's what David had, not just in his head, but it was his worldview. It's how he looked at the world. And it gave him a confidence that was somewhat even disconcerting to some people. But it was absolutely beautiful and sweet to God. See, we need to understand this. God is sovereign. He is king. I don't care whether you love our current president or you can't stand him. doesn't matter. Whether you want to deify him or crucify him, you're approaching this all wrong either way. Because understand something. He's just a man. He's a sinner. And one day, he and his government will be gone, just like all the previous presidents and their governments and all the future presidents and their governments. They're not sovereign. They're in power for a time. God allows it. That's fine. But we act like they're sovereign, and they're not. God alone is sovereign. Let me just say, if you wrestle with the fear of of man, if this is something that you struggle with, fear of people, what they think of you, their opinions, you wrestle with this fear. I want to suggest your estimation of people is far too great and your estimation of God is far too small. When we find ourselves overcome by this fear and being paralyzed, because that's what fear does, it paralyzes us. When we find ourselves being paralyzed by this fear, just be rest assured, my estimation of people is far too great and my estimate estimation of my God is far too small. Hebrews 13, 6. So we say with confidence. There's that word again. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Some of you, that's a word from the Lord for you this morning. What can man do to me? See, true confidence is not self-confidence. It's God-confidence. David wasn't self-confident. We think of self-confidence. We're not talking about self-confidence here. We are talking about God-confidence, and it's totally different. It recognizes there is something bigger. There is someone bigger, and he is on the throne, and he is exalted. And as I walk in obedience, he is with me. And that changes everything. Let me real quickly this morning give you three keys to building confidence in the sovereignty of God. The first one is learn to love the approval of God more than the approval of other people. Ooh! Ooh! Now he's meddling. That was just offsides. 
Learn to love the approval of God more than the approval of other people. And this is, this is really very practical and good news. Because here's the problem. The approval of people is fickle. One day, they might approve of you. And the next day, they won't. Some person, one person might approve of you because you're useful to them today. And then tomorrow, they won't because you're not useful anymore. You better get used to this. Let me just tell you. As a pastor, I've had to get used to this. There are, when you're a pastor and you're in front of people and you're leading and there's a whole bunch of people and they all have investment in the, in the community and all this stuff, sometimes something you do will make a lot of them happy. Great. Enjoy it. Because those same people next week might be upset about something different you do, a decision you make, a message you preach, a, a hire you make, whatever it is. It's just the way it is. And you need to know, if there's people approving of you something you've done, mark my words, there's someone else who is not approving of it. They may not be saying it to you right then, but there is, because the approval of people is fickle. And if you spend your life jumping through hoops to try to please people, you are going to frustrate yourself, and you're going to wear yourself out. See, we need to focus more on the approval of God, because his approval is not fickle. 1 Samuel 15, 22, Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offering and sacrifices as much as obeying the Lord? To obey him is better than sacrifice and heed is better than the fat of ram. See, here's the deal. God wants to give you the life he created for you. See, when you learn to trust him and know how much he loves you and how much he created you for a life abundant, when you all of a sudden understand that, you understand that he is God, and he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not fickle. You will begin to do what has been called dancing for an audience of one. That's Pastor Sean Azaro. You've been listening to Reaching for Real Life Radio. And if you'd like to hear this full message in the series called Fear Not, it's available right now on demand at reachingforreallife.org. And we'd also love to hear from you on our Contact Us page. Or even better, your financial gift helps this radio ministry continue find the Donate tab at reachingforreallife.org. But of course, you're invited to visit and join us at River City Community Church, located on Lookout Road right behind Rotama Park, right next to the Real Life Amphitheater. If you'd like to call the church, the number is 210-490-5262, as Reaching for Real Life Radio is a service of River City Community Church, and we hope you join us again next time as you travel the road to real life. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.